0: back to the film alchemist podcast the show where we take the movies we love break them apart to find out what gives them their magic i'm your host josh Griffey, joined as always by my uh friend in the flesh and guest co-host carmelita valdez mccoy welcome back hello so yeah alex was busy but we must continue to crush pods because this is the october mega marathon 31 days Thirty-one pods. So Carmelita was nice enough to help uh, step in here. You will hear her later in the month on her guest show uh, about Night of the Demon, which is fantastic, a wonderful episode. Um, but she helped stepped in so we could finish this Hellraiser franchise run while Alex was busy. Um, again, I'm sorry that I gave you these three, <laughs> but I'll say this. I had not seen the uh, the two post-Doug Bradley Hellraisers before. I would kind of actively avoided them. I was like, there's nothing in there for me. I felt like, I will say, I like them both so much more than I was anticipating. Um, I don't know if that'll be your experience, so we'll get to that in a moment. Um, (laughs) Guys, a quick bit of business. Please go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash filmalchemistpod. The best way to support the show and the only way to make sure you get every one of the 31 episodes for uh, the October Mega Marathon this year. We have some great stuff over there. We got a big library of exclusives. Uh, great people over there all kinds of fun stuff we work really hard to make that worth your guys's time so thank you so much uh for doing that in advance for those of you who already do you know we love you you know we love you uh the youtube channel phil Alchemist, make sure you subscribe there you can email us film pod at gmail.com we're on all the socials you're on so hit us up make sure you share everything you can about the uh, october mega marathon we want all the people coming into this puzzle box Also, something easy you can do to help us out. Leave those five-star ratings and reviews wherever you find the show. All right. Enough of that business. We're here for horror movies. Horror movies. (laughs) (laughs) Which this is definitely a horror movie as well. It is. Um,
1: (laughs) So this is
0: uh, the return of Hellraiser. Sadly, we have returned without Doug Bradley as our iconic pinhead. Um, So new pinhead. I would argue that while we have a new pinhead, we kind of have the um this is almost a Cliff Notes greatest hits album of Hellraiser. Mm. So today we're doing Hellraiser Revelations. Um, I this is not one of the greater entries of the franchise, right? No. I will say I do still like this better than Hellseeker. That will constantly be the bottom of my rankings, which is sad because we got <laughs> Kirsty back has a good ending, but the rest of the movie was such slop, I couldn't, I couldn't really put it higher than this one. So what I'll say is that this has all of the trappings of a not-good low-budget movie. It's a little clunky. It's not exceptionally beautifully shot. Um, our new pinhead, while well, I think proficient in his acting, kind of looks like Eric Cartman in cosplay. <laughs> it just didn't look right to the eye.
1: He was very, like baby faced almost
0: very cherub face right like yes. big face features um and the yeah. eyes just were diff there's something a little off to me
1: agreed he's a little too smooth i don't
0: yeah you know what i mean i don't believe know. him and that he's yeah. a guy who's seen a lot of pain and tortures but i actually think this movie white, they, they made a good choice for a low budget movie they took it back to the very basics So at this point in the franchise, Hellraiser is probably the one franchise that's done every kind of the joke version, right? They did the internet sequel. They did the um, space and time period in one movie. They've done the um, detectives. They've done everything at this point, right? Any kind of Hellraiser franchise, they got it. And so I don't think this movie was doing a lot of we're going to do new ideas. They kind of went back to the basics of what this box is. They brought us back to a pinhead who is a neutral arbiter Uh, people pushing the boundaries, right? They also gave us a couple new scenes that I think did add to the mythology in a fun way. So I do think this was a much better entry to the franchise than I had expected coming in. So Carmelita, why don't you open us up with your initial thoughts on Revelations?
1: So this was a first-time watch. (laughs) Much like yourself. Yes. I was was going into this being like, I don't know, man. We don't have Doug Bradley. Yep. Like, how is this gonna be? And maybe those very low expectations helped me.
0: I think the low expectations are a springboard to enjoyment for a lot of movies. I agree with you.
1: Yes, (laughs) because this was not, this was not unwatchable. (laughs) This was actually pretty watchable. I agree. And you know, I didn't look to see what the budget was, but I mean, it's pretty clear on the low end
0: you don't have to do a lot of detective work yeah
1: right but because of the settings and because of the intimate story it's telling centering around these two families mm-hmm. and they're like interpersonal connections you can a get little away too
0: interpersonal at times yeah uh, uh,
1: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um d- distressingly so yeah i think it that low budget, like you can get away with it. Yeah. And and it, it does have this raw, grimy feeling to it, mm-hmm. which works. There's there's some interesting things they're doing here. Yeah. And I, I think too, like this I was pleased that this yeah. the tone of this was serious. Yes. Because yes. A lot of times when you get this deep into a franchise, things go very comedic.
0: They haven't had the comedic sequel yet, which I don't think Hellraiser is ripe for. So I agree with you on that. too. And
1: <laughs> I'm happy about that because also happy. I, I like the serious tone. Yeah. I appreciate that. So I actually, like, I don't know how often I would revisit this, if I'm being honest, but I'm not sorry that I watched it.
0: Yeah, I mean I I'll I'll say that. To talk about. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I don't know that I will ever willingly watch this movie again. Um, I could imagine a world where I'm a little older and I'm like, you know what, I do want to run through it one more time, right? I do that every year. Right. I try to pick like a franchise or two that it's been a long time and things get a little fuzzy, or like I want to run through again, right? So I wouldn't dread this one. I wouldn't willingly go out of my way to not watch it again. Exactly. Um I did almost call you and cancel this show in all of October <laughs> uh, within the first couple minutes when I was like, oh my God, are we doing the found footage, Hellraiser?
1: <gasps> you too?
0: I was pissed. I was furiously fucking mad. Um, I probably hate found footage more than almost anyone you know, right? Like, there are certainly awesome found... Like, I think Paranormal Activity yeah. does a great job. The Blair Witch Project is a fucking you know monument in the landscape of cinema it's a great movie there are certainly movies that use found footage pretty well I think the glut right like I would say on average if you watch a found footage movie I'd say about nine out of ten of them are fucking very near unwatchable I think it it gives a shield for some of the laziest filmmaking and storytelling sure right It, it I get why people do it but I was I was this close. I was like, I'm not going to make it 30 minutes at this. Because the first time we see Penhead, right, the camera's whipping around and he's just kind of in the background out of focus. And I was like, nope, nope. I was mad. I was violently mad. And I was glad when we did the little cut back to, you know, mom watching the, the DV tape, right? So yeah. I'm actually, yeah, it's like they have to cover every whore kind of movie in Hellraiser. So they got some found footage in. Yeah. There was this funny moment where they're just like, we're going to get pussy and Tishawana. And you're like, all right. Oh,
1: man. And then yeah.
0: there's just all of a sudden this violent and abrupt like two cuts, right? They stole our car. And then I've got the box. I figured it out. And I was like, wait, holy shit. Like, I feel like there's a whole like hangover tale that we've missed Yes. <laughs> as to what led them from let's go crush some pussy to, oh my God, he's Uncle Franking the box, right? He's, you know, no shirt. He's in the middle of the candles. Very throwback to part one. Um, so I was glad when they pulled it back and walked us through, right? I will say the part of the movie that I think works the least is the the suburban family foursome. Mm. Um, I just don't think that they really dig into at all what makes them interesting or this house or why, right? I think the daughters got some run. The two kids were fine. There's a part of me that's like, I wish we would have just done that Mexican weekend, right? And just kind of stayed mm. the course. So I, but I think even the parents, right? Cause I think that's the argument you would make against this movie if you wanted to call it the worst Hellraiser um, is whenever we cut back and we're not doing the children or the Cenobites, this movie moves at a snake. See, I'm even holding my puzzle box. Uh, this movie <laughs> moves at a glacial pace. Like, they just pull the brakes almost violently. It hurts to watch at times. Um, so what did you make of our new setting and characters?
1: So I'm with you. I think I, I like the idea mm-hmm. of having these two families, that the kids, their lives are all entwined, the parents, their lives are all entwined, and there's all these secrets. And mm-hmm. I, I like the idea of that the execution of it yeah like those parents i was just not buying what they were selling
0: not not even for like a second i didn't buy they were friends i didn't know how they knew each other Exactly. i didn't buy that they were sad people um it was just so like even by the end right yeah when when our our lead actor teenager is doing his like heath ledger monologue yeah you're like, I don't know that he was up to the task, but he's at least trying. Like, he's putting yeah. himself out there, which I always appreciate, right? Um, The parents, not so much. Not so much. So that part, and it's all in the service to this. It's kind of my, my criticism from the last movie, right? Is that Henry Cavill never had to confront his dick-slinging persona. Right. This movie fully addresses that, right? These these rich white kids who have it all, right? The one dad's like, I just don't know why he left. He had it all, man. And again, I think that's actually like an accidentally prescient way to look at the Hellraiser franchise, right?
1: Absolutely. If you're on the struggle
0: to survive, you don't need to go fucking seeking pleasures at the borders, right? Right? There's a boredom that must exist to get people to this place. So I thought that was accidentally like a really insightful moment.
1: No, I agree. And it's very... It's very much the question of the 2000s, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's Woodstock '99. Why are these white guys so mad?
1: Right? What is like, that? Why, are the, why are these people so angry? They have <laughs> every, you know, they have all, yeah. you know, there's there's so much that you have access to, so many opportunities. Why are you so pissed off? Like, no. so I think, yeah, I don't know that they intent. I don't know if that was their intent. <laughs> But
0: that's the alchemy of storytelling in films, right? Whether
1: it was conscious or subconscious, it is there. And I think that that is really interesting.
0: Yeah. You are just putting all these pieces together and hopefully we find that flavor somewhere. Right. So we joked last movie about us doing more work than the movie.
1: Yeah.
0: That's the whole point of enjoying art, right, is you got to put a lot of that in there. But I, I thought that was actually a pretty interesting place, right? And I like the idea that these guys, because uh, Nico is just like an absolute piece of shit. He's got this real racist, like, you know, I run so the gross. world kind of thing, which works really well in this movie, right? He's actually a pretty good monster in this movie. You know, watching him like, let's go down to Mexico because we'll just crush everyone and stomp anything in our way, right? Um, You know, he literally treats all of Mexico like it's the donkey show he keeps talking about. Absolutely. Um, there, so essentially our inciting incident of this phase of the film, right, is they go to this bar, they're drinking and doing the thing I hate the most in movies, when people don't finish what they're drinking or eating, or they spill it everywhere. Right. They spill 80% of the tequila <laughs> that they should be drinking, which I hated. Um, they find this lady, and even though she doesn't speak, they're just filming her, they're fucking throwing themselves at her. It's a very cringy, gross scene, right? It's gross. Um, you you know this. I don't have to tell you. A lot of my lady friends have talked about how horrible it is to just go to bars sometimes. Because um, that's the thing. They're like, yeah, I just don't want a bunch of sweaty fucking bad breath guys all up in my shit. Right. And so you immediately can get this like, oh, God. Um, But this is actually a pretty cool moment, right? So Nico takes the girl from his buddy, right? Not that they have, like, ownership. But he thinks he's going to bang her and Nico will film. Well, that gets switched, right? Fall asleep in the bathroom. After he's filmed her having sex wakes up after an indeterminate amount of time because no one else has come in the bathroom. Um, So hard to say. And our prostitute, or not, she's not the prostitute. She's just a lady in the bar. We never find out if she's a pro or not.
1: Well, it's kind of vague because... Yes. Because the, the other kid, is Steven? He calls her a prostitute. Yeah, it? I think it's Steven yeah. and Nico, yeah. Right, yeah. Steven is, like, trying to ask, like, oh, is she, you know, yeah, is she a hooker? Mm-hmm. And you don't really get an answer because at that point, he doesn't realize that Nico has killed yeah. this woman.
0: Okay, so this is where I want to hit right off the bat. Do mm. you think Nico killed that lady? Yes. I think so for sure, right? Because yes. the guardian of the box later, the vagrant, when we see him, he's like, you know, sex and even killing only goes so far. I think he's specifically saying that Nico's on tilt and is running down this course. I think maybe he came to Mexico – Because as a racist douchebag, he sees, you know, non-rich white people as less thans and he can start doing this.
1: Yes, he can dehumanize Um, them.
0: Yeah, it is kind of strange as a decision, though, because why would he not let Steven in on what they're doing? Or do you think he wants to trap him because he knows Steven will be pulled back? As he says, your parents have cut your balls off at every turn.
1: Right. I mean, I read it as Nico, Nico doesn't want. Maybe he figures Stephen will try and talk him out of it.
0: Oh, that's a good one. Because also, the, the way on? she's laying on that toilet, and they were having sex vertically.
1: Yeah. There's no way she hits wall. her head
0: hard enough to be dead, let alone passed out. Like, he had to do that, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, this nefarious, like, I'm just going to trap my buddy. Because that's the th- he literally seems like he only wants him there just to have someone to witness yes. his great path of carnage right I actually thought that was a pretty cool story right like it's funny because right after the the murder they just end up in another strip bar
1: (laughs) oh I know one and this is kind of a cool thing too like going with the times where at that at that point in the 21st century now everybody has access to cameras Mm -hmm. and filming video Yep. And you can film everything. And, you know, earlier in the franchise, it's like everything, all of that exploration that leads someone to the puzzle box, to the Cenobites, is all stuff that happens behind closed doors, hush, hush, back rooms. Nobody else knows what you've been up to. Yeah. And this is interesting because Nico wants to be filmed.
0: Yeah, well, there is this idea, you know, if it didn't, If it's not on film, it didn't happen.
1: Exactly. Nico
0: desperately wants people to see him as he sees himself. Yeah. Right? He is crafting this monster version of himself. And I love when the vagrant just slides in, right, and just pretty much starts laying it out. Yeah. That he kind of knows exactly who Nico is, right? And so he offers this box as, I believe he said it's the ultimate form of arousal, right? That nothing can take you to the limits this thing can. And they don't even really stop to question what that even means, right? Right. And he kind of sells the puzzle box as a, you know, when people have a near-death experience. When they come back, every day is the best day because they have felt that finality. So they perhaps know to, you know, enjoy it a little more. Um, I thought that was pretty cool because then there's this moment where he's like, it's not for sale. He says, it's already yours, Nico. It was always
1: mm. yours. Yeah.
0: So not only is not only is the the puzzle box guardian or the vagrant seeking him out, right? There is this almost inevitability to Nico coming to this point, which I don't know if I love that or not, right? Mm. If you take the choice away, I don't know that it's as impactful. Because that's the I thing, see right? What you're saying. Is Uncle Frank always going to end up at this place, right? And I I guess that's the the human folly, right, that the franchise right. deals with. All of us are going to go there at some point or we give up and just begin to die in our flesh tombs, right? Right. Well, hopefully not this far. This is very far. I think there's a <laughs> middle ground between the two. <laughs> so what do you make of Nico's journey to the box?
1: No, I I think I think this is interesting. That idea of free will versus inevitable, the inevitability, Mm-hmm. and I, I think it's it's cool to think about. And so, yeah.
0: another that, accidental, really deep well to yes. fall into. <laughs> the,
1: the vagrant says that it's inevitable that you are; it's mm-hmm. already yours. Yeah, but that's that's just him saying it, you know. I mean, could you choose differently? I, I mean, think I think once
0: he kills the hooker. Right. Because this is the other thing, right? This is that one of those made his choice. Yeah. So on a mythology level, while they're getting back to basics, right? Nico does not seek this box out. The box finds him. Now, we've right. seen in a lot of the other Hellraiser movies that when you are of a specific kind of journey. That This puzzle box in the guardian will seek you out and find you. Yeah. So again, we're getting back to the kind of myth. Like he doesn't initially seek it out. It's finding him, but then he takes that moment to not be, Hey, we should go back home, man. We committed a murder. This is fucked up. Right. He says, I'm going to double down on everything I've done. So it is a, while it comes to him, he is still the seeker. He still has to make the choice. And I think even though the, the vagrant says it's inevitable, I think that's just because once you unchain yourself to this level where the box is finding you, I feel like you've already made enough choices, right?
1: Yes. You've so he made could the have choices. not
0: been a piece You're of shit. You're too
1: far down the path now.
0: Yeah, he could have just been a normal fucking philanderer, right? Sure. But he has gone too far now. And so I, I think that there is somewhat of a choice in there still. But yeah, this inevitability that this movie dabbles with, I... I found it actually more interesting than I originally just said, right? Because it, it inherently will not be as interesting if a character is not making a choice. Sure. But to your point, Nico has made a hundred choices to get to this moment, right? Choices we've all faced, right? How far do you push anything? So I think there is something cool in that, right? And again, then we jump back to the house for a long time. What feels like a long stretch of movie and a movie that's probably an hour and 25 minutes long.
1: It's a short movie, but yes, those those moments drag yeah. their feet for sure. The
0: mom and dad moments are brutal. You get a couple moments where the daughter's like yeah. beginning to seek the box. We can see it beginning to call to her, right? She kind of right. is doing that sexy box show for the, uh, the neighbor oh, guy. Oh, God she rubs his back she's making out with her brother you're like holy shit like she's the far- on the pe- no,
1: let's go back do
0: you think the she pers- made out with her brother before that moment
1: i don't think so mm-hmm. but maybe i don't know
0: she didn't okay. seem very startled that her brother who just got back from being kidnapped they think is ready I don't to throw be, down
1: i don't want to be judgy so not only do but they I'm kiss like-
0: he goes for a boob grab that we then see is a fleshless boob. I mean, there's, that's a lot. There's,
1: there's a lot. So let me. I'm gonna tell you this.
0: A lot of baseball the hitters. M- you hit a single. You think you can stretch it to a double, but you know it's a long shot. Yeah. This is the, the longest. Minute, <laughs>
1: the minute we're introduced to her. Yeah. I'm. I'm already like, who is? What is this? <laughs> what is happening? She looks twelve. Yes. She's wearing that really bizarre Fredericks of Hollywood (laughs) clubwear top. Yeah. Around the house with her parents. And I'm just like, what is this? It's like a Mm -hmm. slave Leia.
0: Kind of a bustier type thing. Yeah. It's a
1: weird, it's weird.
0: It's a weird fashion choice.
1: It's a weird fashion choice. And (laughs) then for the the morbid
0: dinner with the other parents who lost their kids.
1: It's really bizarre, she you know what this
0: morning ritual needs some fucking TNA. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's it's just so I'm already kind of like, okay, who is this girl? Like what? Yeah. And then you you figure out she's the sister. You mm. figure out she's dating. She her was dating best Nico. Yeah,
0: dumped her, or she dumped Nico.
1: The whole thing is just it's yeah. very weird. So then when she starts taking an interest in the box, I'm kind of like. Mm. Okay.
0: Seems like a logical next step.
1: <laughs> right. Because I, yeah. I already, like, this character is already so kind of out there in this really weird way that I'm like, okay, fine.
0: Yes. They address it in a fun way, though, right? When he, yeah. when Pinhead eventually is, he's going to let her go at the end of the film. Yeah. And he just says, the darkness that was in you to Nico has now taken seed in her and will germinate. And when you're right. ready... Will be there. I thought that was a really cool idea. That she hasn't gotten to the point yet where Pinhead and the Cenobites want to harvest. Yes, right. They're like She's if not we ripe let for this the taking. Go- right, and again, this gets back to that: the more you seek pleasure, the more pain you will leave behind. It gets back to this kind of cosmic neutral that the Cenobites are supposed to represent, and so they send her back out in the world to presumably continue this fucking cycle of pain and pleasure and knows that she'll be an asset. I thought that was a really awesome idea. I was really that into That is pretty
1: it. cool. That yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah. I, w- I not, was I was. She's not that. ready yet. They see it in her, her potential.
0: <laughs> well, she dresses like this to a family dinner. <laughs> she could really work her way up the <laughs> <laughs> ladder here at Cenobites Inc. <laughs>
1: and it, it sounds so judgy, and I'm not trying to be judgy, Yeah, but, like – It's a weird choice. I had
0: fashion faux pas, like dressing a little more sexualized. Slutty is the the word we used to say. Um, That wasn't really a thing for boys, but I would do like bucket hats. I had like the uh, puka shell necklace. (laughs) I used to do this thing where I had these like little or some kind of like nuts or like little brown balls. But I would wear them on my both wrists and both ankles like I was in fucking Street Fighter. Yeah, yeah. So like I was pushing it.
1: I used to wear legit dog chains, like. Oh yeah. Like chains that had belonged to a dog.
0: Oh, like like you went to Pet Smart to get them. (laughs)
1: No, no, no. No, even better. I was, I was working at a portrait studio, and they had like this like Pet Week, and people brought their pets in to have pet portraits. Nice. And, like, someone left their dog's chain there. And then I just wore it every day after that.
0: Did you put, like, a name tag for you with, like, a phone number no, on it? No, I didn't. I no. did You should have committed all the way to the <laughs>
1: bitch. You know, so I get. We I all get did our
0: weird things to, expression. like.
1: Expression.
0: You desperately want to be an individual. Right? She's kind of going oh, through yeah. the early teen version of what Nico's going through. Yes. Where you're like, I want to do anything that makes me different to anyone else. Right? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't yet in the flesh. So I was, like, bucket hat and. Necklaces and anklets and whatever. <laughs> so I I do get it,
1: I do. I do too. I do too. It just it just it was one of those where I was like, oh, what is this? Yeah. Who is this? What I is remember how out?
0: mad everyone's parents were when chokers came out.
1: Oh yeah,
0: that was like uh, everyone's dad was like, what the fuck is that? Why are they wearing that? <laughs> and I was like, is this activating something in you, like old neighbors? Like why are you? What the fuck? What the fuck, bro. <laughs>
1: I remember all the dads were
0: so mad because this one girl who rode our bus was kind of the neighborhood girl that we all like opined over, Mm. and she had one. And I will never forget my dad and his friends just like going to town on how horrible that was, and how they wish she had not moved into our neighborhood and like ruined all of our little minds.
1: Oh man! I was like, it's just
0: a like Claire's choker, man. It's not.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No. There's something about. I mean, this is just me speculating. There's something about the the drawing attention to the neck. I don't, I don't know.
0: It does get back to this like weaponization of sex, right? The, the yes. sexualization of young women is a taboo, right? I mean, not as taboo as it used to be, right? But there are these weird boundaries now that we're always butting up against. Even if you watch that crazy shit like pageant Moms, mm-hmm. right? And it's like this is those girls are like seven, man. Like bring it back. And so, right. I again, I think this movie really does get back to that core of this suburban house, right? And just putting these fucking uncomfortable taboos all around and seeing how these fucking squares react. I think the sad yeah. thing is that the squares never really confront any of it. By the time they think about it, they just start getting slaughtered. Yes. But throwing a yeah. sexualized young daughter in the mix. And then even the dad says that line, well, well she hadn't broken up with Nico, maybe. As if somehow her exploring relationships and this and that is the fucking final thing that killed their psychopath right. son. No. But again, that that's another thing that works really well in the context of help. It Race.
1: does because they're, I mean, I will give the the film that even though these people don't really, especially the adults don't really sell the part, the roles they're playing. Yeah kind of the the roles themselves mm-hmm. are very representative of the kind of things you hear. Yeah. And well, it's also th- this,
0: this good thing, symbolic. right? It, we talked about how the young people haven't had the revelations of aging flesh, mm-hmm. right? When you mix that with these old fucking parents that are losing their kids, afraid of their kids becoming sexualized, meanwhile, to save their own egos or fucking each other... Mm -hmm. Right. It is kind of this nice bridge about this entire spectrum of how scared we are of sex in general. Right. Like as a thought experiment. Right. I don't know that I'm bold enough. If my wife came home and she's like, you know what? You just haven't been around. You've been traveling for months. We've seen each other like four times. I had a need. I had an itch that had to be scratched. I had some meaningless sex because I just needed to, you know, get bounced around. But I still love you. I just, I needed that. Mm. And I went and got it. How would I react, right? Yeah. Would I be like, I'd like to think I'm pretty high-minded. Like, all right, you went and paid a pro and you still want to be with me? That's fine. But probably not, man. Are we all that high-minded, right? Probably not. You know? And so that's. But I I love that Hellraiser puts you in those ethical conundrums. Yes. Because, again, we all want to be more enlightened and not, especially now, right, like even with the new pinhead, right? Now we have issues of a woman being pinhead, a transgendered woman being pinhead. There is a lot in our society right now that is this this re-rising of fear of non-heterosexual sexuality. Mm -hmm. And even if it's heterosexual, if it's too rampant, right? Like girls on Instagram are doing what? You know what I mean? It's there, there is this fear of sex that is really fucking come back in a vicious way.
1: And some really weird ways, like the discourse weird. you see in film, Twitter around
0: sex scenes around and movies sex scenes. Yeah.
1: It's wild. Yeah. I, the,
0: the I, converse, I don't know. Like
1: the, those are the conversations that people have. And like, the, there's an argument to be, I, I mean, Hey, yeah. Everyone's entitled to their feelings and opinions, yeah. but it is very interesting <laughs> to be coming up now. Yeah. And to think about why is that? What is it about the zeitgeist?
0: Yeah. Well, it makes me very excited that we're getting a new Hellraiser in this time because mm. this movie is really close to that kind of mark. Yeah. Right? These people that have everything but are miserable inside begin to push it, do things that I know are harmful to others. And this is what happens. And this kind of somewhat generic tale lands in the middle of Penhead's domain, right? Cool. I think there is this thing that people get uncomfortable because they feel inadequate sexually, mm. right? There is this weird thing that because I have a wife and we have a, a monogamous sexual relationship, right, that some men are feel threatened by people who are out having tons of sex. Sure. And I was like, if you're really that upset by that... Why did you get married? You know yes. what I mean? Let's say you yeah. didn't get married. Do you think you'd be out there fucking crushing 10 sexual partners a week? Is that <laughs> so there is this this lack of I think we see this a lot in society now. People have this. They are so afraid to examine their own decisions and lives at a very deep level. Sure. It's much easier to look out and say those people are the problem, which is exactly where this movie lands as we get to the funny games segment of the movie right this is kind of the wish.com funny games right (laughs) where they're just kind of like he's going in right like you think i want to bring a child into this world where you know you guys have made a mockery i'm miserable Ah, like bring a child in and see if that makes it better right strangely i didn't think this section was that bad i thought it was interesting to see this kind of monster incel shooter school shooter character whatever the fuck kind of thing this is right the people that go funny games whatever classification that is coming home and just this is what you have created with your fucking repressions
1: right yeah i mean it's not high art but it's interesting Making them confront yeah like this Mm -hmm. well i'm like if he (laughs) had had a father son
0: like son i'm i'm fucking the neighbor lady would he be like thanks for telling me now i'm not so fucking pent up and ready to go kill hookers probably not
1: yeah, probably
0: not, but it's still an interesting uh place to dabble.
1: Sure. Yeah, I think again, I think there's a lot of really interesting ideas here. Mm-hmm. I think maybe the budget, yeah. Maybe like the execution. The
0: budget, the cast, like there's some things that didn't falls
1: a little short. Yeah. But like if this had a Hellraiser
0: 3 budget? Yeah. Could we have gotten this to a higher level? Probably, right? right? Because I I would say we don't have a lot of Cenobite action or Penhead, right? We do see some of it. Um, We do get Nico coming out of the bed, a la Julia in part two, which was cool. Mm -hmm. Um, The Penhead we got, though, I thought was pretty effective for this movie. Again, Penhead himself visually was, I don't want to say appalling. That's probably a word too far. Um, (laughs) Off-putting to me.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Visually every time he was on screen I was like because I thought the performance was pretty good.
1: Well the it wasn't visual voice, could
0: not settle.
1: Right? Didn't they have someone else's voice? Or was I that the that next might be film? Right.
0: That's a good question. I'm not sure. Um but yeah, this is the one where visually I was just yeah bummed, right? But I thought the performance is oh, yeah. fine.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have it in my New little voice. notes here. A diff- so Stephen Smith Collins played pinhead but the voice was this guy fred taskior yeah. yeah
0: he had the good timber it was fine mm-hmm. yeah again i think they just did him no favor like it was fine it was good i liked the idea of him creating the pinhead jr and watching yeah. him they, they lay out why the pins right like why in that order right every square of flesh you take uh, wrenches you further from that kind of flesh and mortal world, right? You will you will become more engaged in this this kind of interchange between pain and pleasure and flesh. I thought that was actually pretty good. I don't know that it yeah. pays off at the end, right? I would have liked Steven to get a moment to confront Nico and his parents and his sister. Agreed. Um, he does kind of whisper in his mom's ear, right? Like, you know, even born of flesh, it's still flesh, blah, blah. But it's like... They could have had like a little bit more of a hammer moment for that. I agree. Um, but the one thing I really liked in this beat, besides them saying the seed is germinating in the daughter, right? The beat I loved, right? Because he comes in. Um, he's got mini pen head, right? We've talked about some of this. Um, we've had the vagrant. So I like the like, they're showing us how you get uh, orientated when you come to the the plus. I zone, like right? the vagrant. The Vagrant was great. I thought that was a really smart thing to add in the franchise that that we hadn't really done yet. That was good. I love this idea, right? That uh, Pinhead is now like, we've come just for fucking Nico. We get back to the, it is not the box that calls us, but desire, line from Hellraiser 2, right? Right? So even if you make someone else do it, we know that you summoned us. Great. Love that throwback. So he's pretty much like, I'm fucking done with you, Whites. Like, get out of here. I'm taking Nico back.
1: But right. the dad,
0: with all of his ego, because this guy has oh called him God. out, ruined his marriage, all this, put the gun in his belly like four times, um, shot him. The dad, in all of his rage, before he dies, he has to fucking stroke his ego one last time. Dumbass. All he had to do was just <laughs> die in peace and tell his wife and daughter, man, I'm sorry. I messed up. And right. he fucking shoots Nico as he's chained up and he just says, no one gets to kill you but me. And Nico says, thank you. And Penhead's just like, this bitch. Idiot. And he just goes, what we would have done to him would have been so much more revenge for you than your pitiful little act. And he says, there is a flesh deficit. Which I was like, that is a fucking great line.
1: That was good. I'm
0: imagining the writer was like, yes. Like, when he wrote that, he probably was like, I nailed it. Oh, so, yeah, that was good. Yeah, and he just says, you know, there... We had all we desired, but now there's a flesh deficit. They fucking take his wife because they want the daughter to grow into a, a perverse pleasure seeker, which definitely seems on the possible chart now. Like she's had a really bad day; she's gonna need a lot of therapy and whatever. <laughs> um, I did for a second when the the hook started going into mom into like her breast area and all that and chaining her up. I was just like, "Has this mom just gotten the rawest deal of anyone in Hellraiser ever?"
1: Maybe. I mean Like since
0: Kirsty, this is like a fucking Raw's deal. She's like, So, so my husband cheated it. on me, my son died. Yep. Uh and now I'm just gonna get fucking tortured for an eternity. Yeah. My my body is the Wonderland now. That doesn't seem right. Mm-hmm.
1: Well and <laughs> and she also now knows that like they're just waiting for her daughter.
0: Oh for, my god, yeah. So her and too. her son is one of the guys who's gonna be hacking her up. Mm-hmm. I felt really bad for this mom. I thought that was a fucking awesome storytelling choice, though. Yeah. To have the dad fucking shoot that guy.
1: Oh, it was so. And then
0: him and his daughter just come back to the real world where she'll be in a house now where all these people are gone and the dad shot in the belly. And who knows how that rolls out. But I thought that was awesome. And we kind of end on this pinhead line before they come back to reality. Where he tells the young girl, when this existence ceases to fulfill you, we will be waiting. And if that is not just a perfect bow on what this fucking movie and franchise is, I don't know what is. I think that's what draws us to Penhead, right? Is when you Absolutely. get so tired of the fucking the family sitcoms with the laugh track, right? The Sunday family dinner. The, you know, oh, I got to go out and mow the lawn and talk about the weather with my neighbors, right? You hit your end like, I haven't gotten laid in three weeks. My boss is riding me. I hate commuting. And you're like, it's not enough. You find your way to these darker places of the mind. So I actually, again, I totally understand if you hate this movie. I think this movie actively gets in its own way a lot for large chunks of the film. I think this movie by kind of plagiarizing the first movie a lot. mm I think they really honed in on what works in Hellraiser. And I think you get a handful of scenes that are really good and really focus back in on what we like about... Because we've been all over the place, right? With oh, the sure. the Pinhead and, and the Cenobite mythology. This really shrinks it back down to what matters. I like seeing the the Vagrant. I like seeing... Pinhead indoctrinating another trainee, right? Actually going mm-hmm. through his philosophy of what this is, right? He's back to a neutral. We're back to this kind of suburban drama. Even the funny game segment, right, of these little fucking, you know, Columbine kid thing, I thought was at least interesting, right? And that that's what I'd say. This movie is really interesting. It has a lot of great pieces in it, kind of getting pushed to the side by this big wave of boringness that comes from the parents.
1: No, definitely. I think, and I think when you're looking at the ninth film in a the franchise, fucking ninth movie <laughs> for them to be able to do something interesting mm-hmm. to kind of take it back to basics, but also make it of the time in which this film is being created. Mm mm-hmm. I got to give him some credit. There's definitely some some aspects, and we've talked about them, that that hurt this film. Yeah. But there's some interesting stuff going on here. There are some yes. cool ideas. There are some good scenes. Yeah. This is, it's better than I thought it was going to be.
0: I agree completely. Like, I thought this was going to be unwatchable. And in the yeah. first five minutes was completely prepared to call off the pot. <laughs> um, and I, I was pleasantly surprised.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because we talked about this last time, right? By the ninth fucking movie, what can you give me that I haven't seen yet or lets me look at it from a different point of view? Right. This movie accomplishes that. So, you know, that's really all I'm asking for at this point, right? I'm not expecting, you know... I I might be a fool for the new Hellraiser that's coming out. Now the 11th movie. It seems like kind of a soft reboot.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I have really high hopes for that again, right? Mm. There's been enough time that maybe my hopes have gotten up a little too high. I don't know. But again, I'm with you. I expected nothing of this, and I actually found it to be a plenty enjoyable film.
1: Yeah, I'm not sorry I watched it. I thought it was really interesting. We are just
0: heaping the most tepid praise on this movie.
1: I know. I mean but I mean, here's the thing. Like, if this was unwatchable, <laughs> if I hated this, trust and believe, yeah. I would say that. Yeah. I agree. Like, if this were unwatchable, I mean, I would tell you.
0: We have talked about much worse movies than this on this podcast for. Oh, sure. for
1: sure. Sure. And I've seen and thousands
0: of movies worse and less effective than this movie.
1: I think it's I think it's really cool mm-hmm. that this is the franchise that Film Alchemist is doing this year. Because <laughs> it had never really occurred to me because prior to preparing to talk to you about these these last three Hellraiser <laughs> films, I had only seen the first three.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah.
1: And it had never occurred to me to like go through the entire franchise yeah to see the how it evolves with the times yeah i think because the first hellraiser film is such a masterpiece mm-hmm. but it has been in watching in watching these films and as you and i are talking about them mm-hmm. like what does what does Hellraiser? What place can that have in this 21st century? In the yeah. current time, with our contemporary social issues, yeah, with like that's really interesting. And I definitely picked up on that as I was watching these films, like placing them, yeah, in the time in which they were made, mm-hmm. and an awareness of like what was going on at that time, and like yeah. how does that. How can you take those contemporary problems and issues and show them through the prism of a Hellraiser movie?
0: Yeah, and that's – it's kind of – I think Hellraiser is unique in this regard, right? Candyman also could have done it. It's just not as many films, right? You got the three, and then the reboot definitely is, you know, how does Candyman work in our modern day, right? Right. Um, And it adds a lot to the film. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Friday the 13th, The Conjuring, whatever fucking franchise you want, right? Phantasm, Texas Chainsaw. Very few of them ever address the changing of the times, right? And how yeah. that would change how a killer operates, right? Like, maybe Halloween Resurrection. And people hated that movie, right? So, like, ew, the internet and Halloween grow. <laughs> you know what like, right. you know, I like, um, this franchise with every entry feels like it's trying to be very of its day, right? Even Scream, yeah. like once they did Scream One, they had their formula, and even though they address what's changed in the genre, they still don't feel wildly imp- like commenting on the time. Maybe part four was a little more right
1: because they had yeah. a little
0: window to really change, but like two and three aren't commentating on the time in a really refreshing way, right? So Hellraiser does stand alone in that, and it does create a new challenge almost every time you go out yeah you know and so i do i appreciate that element of the franchise as well that's it for hellraiser revelations we're not done we will come back tomorrow with hellraiser judgment and carmelita i will give you a spoiler alert (laughs) i think hellraiser judgment might be a top half hellraiser movie (laughs) i fucking loved hellraiser judgment I would never in a million years have imagined I would have said that on this podcast. I legitimately enjoyed that film. I thought it was a really fun uh, way to kind of look at this and whole thinking it was the last Hellraiser movie until we get our new Hellraiser movie uh, this month. So, yeah, spoiler alert. I actually liked it and I'm really excited to talk about it with Carmelita, of course. Getting out of here, guys, again, please go to Patreon. Make sure you get an episode every day this month. We do the work. We want you to benefit from that. Patreon.com slash Pod. The best way to support the show. And we have tons of fucking sites to show you over there. Uh, Email the show, FilmAlchemistPod at gmail.com. Hit us up on all the socials. You can subscribe to the YouTube Film Alchemist. Please leave us ratings and reviews wherever you find us. It does help out a lot. All right, we will be back tomorrow to put to rest... Um, The old Hellraiser movies. Before we return with our, our final new reboot, it's exciting when we do the franchise and the new reboot lands directly. Yes. This didn't come at the end of the month. This hits literally the Friday before we needed to drop the Hellraiser franchise. So this could not have been more perfect for us. So I'm really Fate. excited.
1: It's faded.
0: It was inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be back tomorrow with Hellraiser Judgment. Bye. Bye.